Well, we're in James chapter 4, and if, if you're a guest at Safe Haven, we, we go through books of the Bible, we find ourselves in the book of James, we're in chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 6 is what we hit last week, and that's what we're going to hit again this week. We kind of went through a little bit of it uh, to kind of kick off last week, and we're going to finish it up this week. So this is where we find ourselves, James chapter 4, uh, 1 through 6, but maybe to set the tone before that, before we read it, I'll go ahead and give you the kind of where we're headed in this. The city that me and Julie Beth moved from was a city in Little Rock called uh, Maumel, Arkansas. And Maumel, if you go look it up, the historical records, they, they literally tried to create a utopia. That was the design of the town. That's what they wanted to do. That was their desire. And so in the historical annals, that's what they strove to do. And there's one way into the city. There's one way out of the city. Um, there are... Um, There is a track that goes literally through every single neighborhood in the entire city and connects. It's just one giant track. So if you woke up one morning and just decided you wanted to go through it, you technically could if you had the endurance to do so. But you can walk all the way through it. Along it, there's several playgrounds all the way through. There's one central hub where there is the uh, pharmacy. That's where the grocery store is at. That's where the doctor's at. Everything's right there. It is attached to the community center. And everybody in the community for your entire family, it's like 50 bucks um, for your entire family to be in the thing. So if you live in the community, you can be a part of this thing. Um, and it's got the pools and all this kind of stuff. And, and it's uh, got two country clubs. The Country Club of Arkansas is there. There's another private country club. It's, it's this uh, picturesque thing. And so they set out to have a utopia. But the problem was, like unicorns, Utopias do not exist. And so they set out to have a utopia. It didn't become a utopia. Why? Because people live there. Because humans live in it. And so because there's humans, there's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be strife. There's always going to be something to war against that utopia, whether it be in a city or whether it be in your own personal mind. So utopias don't exist, that's uh, simply because fallen people exist in a real world, and so conflict is going to occur. We're non-glorified people. And so as I say this out loud, see if this registers in your brain. Conflict hits us in business. Is that hitting of you in your business? Conflict hits us in families. Anybody want to stand up and say you've never had conflict in your family? Right? And certainly there are none. Right? Uh, conflict hits us in friendships. Conflict hits us in neighborhoods. And when conflict begins to hit us on all these different levels, it hits us also internally. And here's ways that it hits us. Conflict hits us physically. Conflict hits us emotionally. Conflict hits us digitally in our digital age. Before the age of social media, that's something we didn't have to wrestle with. But now you find yourself with your blood pressure elevated at 930 at night because for the past two hours you've been looking at pictures of people and things that they're doing and sitting there complaining about what they're doing or what they shouldn't do or where they should wear or what they shouldn't wear or where they should go or what they shouldn't go. And they don't have any idea you're even looking about them or thinking about them. And it causes this strife. It's the digital age we live in. And so it hits you physically, it hits you emotionally, it hits you digitally, and then conflict, more importantly, hits you where? Right between the ear holes. It hits you mentally. 
And so you wrestle with this conflict, and so last week James started walking us into that. The good Dr. James, in verses 1 through 6, he started out with what causes quarrels and fights among you. And so he hits us right where we need it with this avenue of conflicts. And on the screen above, if you weren't here last week, this is a synopsis of where we were last week. Um, James says, look, you've got micro passions, you've got macro passions. These are things that rise up within you. And so in other words, before conflict arises out there amongst them, conflict arises where first? Right here. It starts inside and then it erupts outside and that's what he's talking about. And so then he also went on to say this, conflicts also arise because we lean in to have friendship with the world. And James says that friendship with the world is an enemy or enmity with God. And so the illustration used was, whatever you lean in to kiss is what you'll find your object of affection. And so James says conflicts arise because we don't lean in to kiss the Savior, we lean in to kiss all that the world has to offer. He says, so that's what's going to happen. Conflicts are going to arise because we have this friendship with the world. So conflict in a nutshell consists of this, according to the good Dr. James. First, our passions rise up inside us. We get hurt. We get angry. We get confused. We get frustrated. We get upset. We get scared. Anybody got an amen up in here? I know we don't do amens a lot, but anybody got an amen? You, you, we feel that, don't we? We feel that anger, confusion, and so our passion rises up in whatever circumstance. And then second, our desires then rise up. Because our passions rise up emotionally, our desires to go, well, I want what they have, begins to rise up. And here's what this looks like. Well, they seem to have a cool job, and I want that job. They got really good grades, and I want good grades. They have health, and I want health. They have money, and I want money. They have power, and I want power. They have the picturesque marriage, and I want that. Let's just go ahead and debunk that. That doesn't exist. That also is a unicorn, right? <laughs> or they have singleness. Watch it. No married people say amen. Don't say amen to this one. Um, they have singleness, and I want that. I want that freedom again. They have... Dare I say, they have kids, and I want kids. Or, they have the ear of that person that I want to have the ear of that person, and so now I'm jealous. And so our passions rise up, and so our desires start to move us towards those things. And then thirdly, our reaction rises up, and that's where our hands and feet get into motion and in line with what's going on inside. And that, my friend, is where it gets dangerous. Because we begin gathering weapons to do battle, to wage for our passions, and this is where gossip starts. Passion says this, desire says this, I want to move towards this, and so because they have that, I'm going to demonize them because they have what I want. Whether it be applause, whether it be friendship, whatever it is, I'm going to demonize them. And so that's where it rises up, and that's where gossip starts. Hey, did you hear this? And it slips in subtly, doesn't it? Man, you know, I, I wouldn't do this, but can you, can you believe they do this? 
So we idolize ourselves, we demonize them, and it just kind of slips in. So gossip starts, and then jockeying for position begins to emerge, and that's where we begin grabbing weapons to slaughter whatever it is so that we can satisfy our passions. Right? Woohoo! What a fun passage, James! Yeah. And so James is saying this to us. He's saying, I'm not telling you that as a Christian you'll avoid conflict. What I'm telling you is that as Christians you ought to handle it differently. That's what James is saying to us in this passage. So, with that said, as the introduction, would you stand up? Let's read this text together. And in honor of God's Word. And again, as we always say at Safe Haven, anything that I say is... Take it, leave it, but this is the sermon. When we read the text out loud, this is the sermon. This is the meat right here. So let's read the text together. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You... Do not have because you do not ask. And even if you do ask, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And this is the passage that we'll pick up in right today, verse 5 and 6. Or do you suppose that it's no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he's made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray that God would meet with us in his text. So as I pray aloud, you pray as well. Please pray. So Holy Spirit... um, Move me aside, speak beyond the voice of not only a mortal man, but a depraved man. And let your text pop off the page, and um, as the psalmist says, that it would be sweet honeycomb to our lips. And so, as we prayed earlier, Lord, many of us in this room need a tender touch. So, touch as with a feather those who need a tender touch. And, and Lord, then there are many of us in this room who needs your strong right hand of discipline. And Father, touch us. Tough touch with sometimes that of a gospel hammer. So Lord, wherever we're at, meet us and illuminate yourself as the chief goal to seek after. Show us how... The gospel fits not only in our justification, but also our sanctification primarily today in how we handle conflict. Show us how the gospel fits. That it's not just something we tag on at the end of a sermon. Be our all in all, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. We'll be seated. Let's, let's fly through this real fast. <clears throat> so again, the whole point that James is saying today <clears throat> is you can't avoid conflict. It's coming, and as Christians, we should handle it differently. The first four verses, he shows us ways not to handle the conflict. Then today, five and six, he's going to show us three ways that as Christians, we should handle conflict. 
There's a worldly way and a godly way, as one commentator says. And we want to handle it as Christians in a godly way. We don't want to have a worldly response to conflict. A worldly response to conflict, what I mean by that, by definition, is this. Worldly simply means that in the way that we handle conflict, we don't want Satan to go, I really like the way that you handled that conflict. When Satan is going, good job, you did it the right way, that's we handled it the wrong way. That's worldly. We want to handle it in a godly way. And so this is kind of what we dive into. And so James says it this way. Number one, when you find yourself in conflict, and again, if I seem like I'm flying through because you weren't here last week, check out the website and you'll see what got us to this point, okay? So number one is this. As a Christian, when you find yourself in conflict, remind yourself that you were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit, God yearns jealously for. In other words, this is the thing that he loves to champion. That thing that God loves to champion is within you as a believer. Like it's in you. Like the fullness of God in you as a believer. Can you wrap your mind around that? The God who hovered over the vast expanse before the world was created in you. The hope of glory is what scripture says. And so, with that said, here's the problem. A lot of times when we come to conflict, we we get to conflict, we forget about the Holy Spirit, and we go, hey, Holy Spirit, check out for a second. I got this one. Why on earth would we lean on our own understanding and our own drive to fix something when the spirit of the living God dwells within us? And so James says, when you come to conflict, the first thing to do is don't check the Holy Spirit out. But man, focus on him. Focus on him in you, the same spirit that scripture says raised Christ from the dead in you. That's pretty powerful, man. And so why would we go, Holy Spirit, I'm trusting in your ability to get me to heaven, but you can't handle this conflict I'm having with my cousin. I'm trusting you, Holy Spirit, to get me into the gates of eternity in a right relationship, but man, my business partner is really jacked up, and I'm going to have to really do this one. It just doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? And that's what James says. He says, when you find yourself in conflict, the first thing we need to do is just be reminded that the spirit of the living God dwells in us and like the wind can move us in the right direction. Here's what passions do. Passions flip us around like the wind flips around those tents that you're going to be dodging in a couple of weeks at the beach. You know what I'm talking about? Right? So we go... And again, I, I'm the first one to say it, all, right? all of us transparent, translucent skin folks, all right? we need major tents. Like, I don't just get a tent, like I spray my tent with sunscreen, okay, <laughs> just for extra layers. So, so the wind comes, it picks the tent up, and y'all have seen it, right? And what happens? Those tents start flopping, and, and you're dodging, you become what, Neo in the Matrix, you know, trying to... Dodge that thing as it floats past. Because the wind is turbulent, it gets it, and that's what James is saying. James is saying, be careful that your passions don't rise up and flip you around like a tent. And then he contrasts it with the Spirit, 
who in Scripture speaks as the one who comes like the wind. How many of y'all are old enough to remember ESPN when it was really cool, when they showed cool stuff, like surfing, right? Uh, anybody remember when they used to have putt-putt competitions? Yeah, they showed this on ESPN. I know some of you are young, like that couldn't be. It was. Um, they also showed royal regattas. I'd come home to my granddad's house where we were living at the time, and we were watching, you know, I'd watch them do the yacht race, and they would flip the sails out and do all this kind of stuff, and it, it amazed me. Number one, the boat amazed me. Uh, number two, it amazed me that they get these giant vessels moving so fast, and they're flipping these things around, and the sails come out, and they would harness the wind. It wasn't turbulent anymore. It was harnessed, and it drove them in the right direction, and that's what James is saying to us. When you find yourself in conflict, harness the wind. Lean in on the spirit of the living God. Don't cast him aside. How do you do that? Three things real fast. Number one, just be reminded of this fact. Hopefully, we did that this morning. Number two, invite the Spirit to move in your heart through prayer and Scripture. One of the last things we do when we find ourselves in conflict is go, Hey, 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 time out. Let me pray. <laughs> right? What we do is in conflict, we go... Hear me roar, Rawr! don't we? James says, just stop. Hey, <laughs> if you find yourself in like a face-to-face -face conflict, I promise you, if all of a sudden like you're getting, like it's, it's getting rowdy and it's, you know, getting loud and all of a sudden you go, hey, 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 let's just stop and pray. I guarantee you it will stop that conflict pretty dadgum quick. If not just simply because of the awkwardness, right? <laughs> right? They may go, hey, weirdo. <laughs> I, you know, so here's the thing, lean in. Just because it may seem weird in the world's eyes does not make it wrong. It may be right. Lean in on the Spirit. And then number three, bow to His winds. Bow to the gusts. And sometimes the Spirit prompts us to do something that we in and of ourselves would never do in conflict. Oh, I don't know, like say I'm sorry. Right, because conflict arises, and we want to jockey for position, and we want to do this, we want to do that, and sometimes the Spirit goes, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to shut your mouth. Well, that can't be the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> Not the one I worship anyway. Right. And maybe he says, what I want you to do in this situation is shut your pie hole. We'll never know unless we bow and listen. So number one, remind yourself of the indwelling spirit. If you find yourself in conflict, pray. Um, and some of you may find yourself... Okay, here we go. Number two. Um, remind yourself of overflowing grace. Remind yourself of the free grace that you've received and how that should compel you to give grace to other people. And where did he say that at? He said, and you'll just have to trust me in this. You can go research the Greek on your own. Verse six. But he gives more grace. What that means is, is when we find ourselves in conflict with life, God pours more grace. The picture is this, that the grace that we receive as Christians is that of not a dump truck, which would be pretty awesome, that just kind of unloads grace on us. But the picture that we get is this, an ocean of grace, and we're standing at the shore, and just like the ocean has endless waves, those waves of grace as a believer crash on us constantly. 
That's good news for a scallywag like this bald-headed dude. And so he says, he gives more grace, and this should impact our conflicts. And so when you think that you've hit the grace limit with that person or that situation, remind yourself that the glorious news of the gospel is that Jesus never hits the grace limit with you. And the moment that he hits the grace limit with you as a believer is the moment that you have the right to stop giving grace to that person or that thing. We all want to be grace hoarders, don't we? Y'all have seen the TV shows? Y'all have seen the show Hoarders, right? Some of y'all love it, and like you're championing those people, and you're like, she should be able to keep her stuff, and he should be able to keep his stuff, and stack it up, and that's some of y'all. And then some of y'all are like me, and even the thought of that TV show makes you start twitching a little bit. And I throw all kind of stuff away. Again, ask Julie Beth, if it doesn't match, or if it doesn't get used in two days, there's a good chance it's going to the garbage, Right? She's like, but I just bought those pearls. And I'm like, well, you didn't wear them in two days. Chuck them out. Get them gone. So so here's the thing. We all like to be grace hoarders, don't we? I love grace for me. I love grace for me. But (laughs) like Seinfeld, no grace for you. (laughs) Think of it. And James says, oh, no, 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 no. In conflict, be reminded that we give more grace because he gives more grace. Number one, in conflict, remind yourself of the indwelling spirit. Number two, verse five, remind yourself of the overflowing grace. Number three, remind yourself of humility. Verse six says this, therefore, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Man. Pride says this. Mm. I am right. I want everyone to know I'm right. And I want vindication. Scripture says this. Vengeance is mine, saith the Troy. (laughs) Right? That's what we want to do, don't we? I was wronged. That was a lie. Vengeance is mine, saith the Troy, and when I get angry, we'll start dropping truth bombs, and once truth bombs a night, boom, 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 let's get it on. That's the rapper coming out. And that's pride. And what humility says is at least five things. And it could be way more. I don't know. We're just going to give you five. Here's what humility says in conflict. We can be right, and we don't have to win the battle. That's what humility says. In other words, you don't have to hold the final infinity stone in the last chapter of your story. Some of you giggle. The others go, I have no clue what that creepo is talking about. (laughs) Avengers just showed up at the movie theaters. I'm not going to tell you 
I haven't seen it yet. But nonetheless, the story of the Avengers overall, at this point, everybody's going to use the bathroom, right? Everybody going to use the bathroom is, has not seen the movie yet. And I'm not going to say anything, although you're nervous as I'll get out right now. The, the, the story of Avengers, of, of the whole Marvel, is there's these infinity stones. And if you get an infinity stone, you harness the power of a deity almost. I mean, you become this godlike thing. And so the whole story is, who can get all six infinity stones? Can one person get all six of them? And if you get all six infinity stones, and every sci-fi person in here is leaning in, and all the ESPN folks are going, what a weirdo. Right? So here's the thing. But nonetheless, we'll keep going with it. And so if I harness the power of it, and, and that's the thing. In conflict, that's exactly what we do. In conflict, we go, I just want all six infinity stones. I want to be Lord over this situation. I want to write the end of the story. I want to put the period on it. I want to, everybody to bow to me I, in this situation. I want to be Lord. I want to harness it. And that's what we do. And the gospel says, you can be right, but you don't have to win on earth. Humility says this, we can be right and not get loud. In conflict, we want to be right and we want to get loud to show that we're right. And that's how conflict goes, right? So the situation comes up where you may have had a situation at your dinner table this week and you have a debate over whether in baseball it's points or runs. And so, as you begin to debate, is it points or runs, somebody goes, well, it's points. Somebody goes, it's runs. And then you get in debate of whether runs are classified under points, the same as buckets, or if runs and points are simultaneously under the category of score. And so you enter into this debate. And it just begins to get louder and louder and louder and louder until you got, no, it's runs, no, it's points. And then finally, you may have had a 12-year-old daughter just stand up and go, Everybody's so loud right now. Because you want to be right. And when you want to be right in conflict, you get louder so that you can dominate with your voice. And you end up just being loud and silly. And humility says you can be right and invite people into quietness. And you don't have to get loud. It's humility. Humility says this, we can be right and still have margin to listen. Pride says this, I want to be right and I don't need to listen to anything because I'm right. And humility says, no, 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 that's not the case. We can always learn. I've never seen conflict where somebody stops listening Sticks their hands in their ears and goes, Nana, na boo boo, I can't hear you. And then the other person go, Well, you just won. You just played the Nana, na boo boo card. You got me. I, you're no longer listening. You win, you win the conflict. And humility says, You can be right and still listen and learn. Which is number four. We can be right. And still have the need to learn. 
Guys, there's a lot to learn in the gray areas of life. And usually in conflict, it's either black or white. And once we find black or white, we ignore all of the gray. And sometimes in gray is where the greatest meat of growth occurs. That may be right and that may be wrong, but buddy, I need to learn something about me or you in the gray. Or the situation. And then number five, and most importantly, humility says at least this. We can be wrong and own it. In conflict, the hardest thing sometimes is to go, you know what? I'm wrong. And humility says we can be wrong and own it. And some of you and me are so prideful that there is no category for number five in our lives. I'm right, and I'm right. And James says, if that's you, God opposes you. That's a strong place to be. And so with that said... James says this, remind yourself in conflict of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Remind yourself of the overflowing grace. And then number three, remind yourself of humility. And this last thing we'll put on the screen. I think this is the nutshell of what James is saying, and we're done. Ben, come on back up. When the goal of conflict is winning the argument, you can be assured that the goal of worshiping will be thrown right out the window. When your goal is, I just want to win and be right or vindicate the person that I think is right, you can be assured that worship has ceased at that moment. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Whether then you eat or whether then you drink or whatever you do, do unto the glory of God. What it does not say is this, Whether then you eat or whether then you drink, unless it's conflict... Do unto the glory of God. So what James is saying is even in our conflict, it's to push us closer to the Lord. So where do you find yourselves today? What is the Spirit saying to you? Are you seeing conflict as an opportunity to see, seek, and savor the Savior? Because that's what James is saying. Don't handle conflict in a worldly way. Handle it in a godly way as that of worship. Here's what I mean by that. Today, you can go home and you can flip on the TV. And on the TV, you're going to find riots, wars, battles, strife all over the TV screen. You're going to find people throwing rocks at each other. You're going to find people lobbing bombs at each other. And if it's not a physical bomb, word bombs, um, which are sometimes just as dangerous. Um, and, and you're going to find this going on all over the place. And the notion behind that is, I, because I'm right, I'm going to murder, I'm going to stab, I'm going to slaughter, I'm going to, I'm going to despise, I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set myself up in opposition against that person because I think I'm right or I don't understand or whatever it is. And, and you're going to see that going on all over the TV screen. And what the gospel says is this, that though we step into conflict and murder and slaughter and kill and, and whatever to vindicate ourselves, 
The gospel is this, and this should impact us believers, that Jesus walks into the same conflict and a greater scale conflict, and he walks into the world, and he says, you're wrong. And then he looks at the other person and he says, you're wrong. And because you're wrong, and because you're wrong, bloodshed needs to occur, stabbing needs to occur. You are right. We need to cause a riot and a war and a battle, and this needs vindication. This is wrathful. This is spiteful. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And because you are wrong, slaughter me. gospel truth is that we're both wrong because we're fallen because we're sinful because we're wicked because we're depraved and the glorious news of the gospel is that Jesus steps into that and says because you're wrong I'll offer you hope because I'm the only one that's right And if you've embraced that substitutionary work, that should impact you and your relationship with other people. Let's pray together. So Jesus, what a passage. And so God, I pray that as we think through this, that we won't find ourselves warring for lordship and trying to gather all of the infinity stones to prove us as something of value. And so, Lord, I pray that you will crush the prideful stones in our hands, but more importantly, smite them and smash them in our hearts. Lord, I know how this passage has impacted me. And I have no idea how it impacts these people in front of me. But we trust you by your spirit, Lord, that you are sanctifying those that you've drawn to yourself. And so I pray for boldness over my brothers and sisters. I pray for whoever they got to call or whoever they got to email or whoever they got to come in contact with or whoever they got to walk into grace with. God, I pray for gospel humility. I pray for gospel redemption. I pray for the God who gives more grace to grant grace into whatever situation that is, whether it be work, whether it be family, whether it be friendship, whatever it is. Maybe marriage. Work. Sanctify our church. Lord, you know we're the first to admit we do not have it right. But we know the one who does. And we are trusting in you, Lord Jesus, to make us pure as a bride ready to feast at the table with the king. So, Lord, 
Meet with us now as we come to the table. Would you stand?